from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. It's always great to have you join us for Washington Watch. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, in what may be a key indicator of this year's midterm election results, a voter survey by Rasmussen Reports shows that 62% of likely voters say it is important that Republicans gain control of at least one chamber of Congress on November the 8th. Now, multiple polls show that the failed economic policies of the Biden administration are the primary driver for that desire, which no doubt is why President Biden is taking a break from abortion to talk about the economy in New York. Today's announcement is the latest example of my economic plan at work. I've said from the beginning that my objective is to build an economy from the bottom bottom up and the middle out, an economy that rewards work, not just wealth, an economy that works for everyone. That was President Biden about an hour ago in Syracuse, New York, talking about the GDP numbers that were released today that do show a slight increase. We'll be joined by Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson for that conversation in just a moment. And attempting to convince Americans the Biden administration is on top of the record recruiting problems that the military is presently facing, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said this yesterday. In terms of uh, recruiting, we continue to uh, focus on this issue. This is a priority for me. It's also a priority for all of our service leaders. And so we continue to invest in those things that, uh, that will allow us to recruit the best um, talent that's out there uh, to, uh, to man this incredible force. But are they really focusing on the right issues? Now, yesterday, President Biden uh, met with his de- defense uh, department leadership and said this. We're going to be engaged. We haven't both addressed the growing competition between major powers while simultaneously uh, uh, taking on the the shared challenges that impact the lives of billions of people around the world, like tackling climate change and strengthening health security. Uh, I'm not sure that is at the core of the military mission, but we're going to talk about that as well. And on Wednesday, we discussed the risky lame duck session of Congress that will start almost immediately after the November 8th election. The lame duck will run through December. Now, top of the list of threats is the Disrespect for Marriage Act, which we talked about. This will give a green light to the left to intensify their attack on religious freedom and parental rights. Well, some new information has come out about who is lobbying to pass this bill. This probably won't surprise you. It's woke corporate America. Justin Danhoff is here with the list. You don't want to miss that conversation. And the comment period for the proposed policy by Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin on transgenderism in public schools has closed, but not before over 60,000 people weighed in. We're going to talk about that a little later here on Washington Watch. And in a related educational item, with the test scores of fourth graders and eighth graders revealing the sharpest declines ever recorded, the Biden administration has the solution. Here it is, transgendering our children and putting them on electric buses. This bus symbolizes so much about our collective investment in our future. Because, of course, it is about our investment in our children, in their health, and in their education. And in that way, 
our electric school bus program really does represent an intersection of all those points. That, of course, was uh, Vice President Kamala Harris yesterday in uh, Seattle, Washington. FRC's Meg Kilgannon joins me for that shocking discussion a little bit later. And thousands of you have already gotten your personalized voter guides. Well, if you are not one of them, there's still an opportunity to do so. And so this is what you need to do. If you're not driving, if you're not driving, text the word guide to 67742. That's G-U-I-D-E, guide to 67742. And you'll get a link. Follow the link over, put in your address, and within seconds, you will have a personalized voter guide on the candidates. All right. So that's the word guide, G-U-I-D, to 67742. The word for today is found in 1 Kings chapter 22. It's verses 13 and 14. And the messenger who went to summons Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Ahab, the idol-worshiping king, had assembled 400 false prophets to tell him what he wanted to hear. But at the insistence of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, who followed the Lord, a prophet of the true God, Micaiah was called upon. There was pressure applied for him to conform to the favorable message of the majority, to which he responded, I can only speak the word of the Lord. There is tremendous pressure today in this cancel culture to conform to this world of wokeness. As Christians, if we are to follow Jesus, we must speak the truth, realizing the truth often has to stand alone. By the way, for those of you in the Baton Rouge area, this Sunday I will be preaching the morning service at Milldale Baptist Church at 10.15 a.m. So if you want to join us, just go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. You can get more information. And next Sunday, November the 6th, I'll be preaching both morning services at Grace Woodlands in the Houston area. Again, for more information on that, go to TonyPerkins.com. Well, the third quarter GDP results are out today, and the U.S. economy actually grew at an annual rate of 2.6%, the first increase of the year. Now, despite this growth, it's worth noting that consumers bought fewer goods in the quarter, with the gains primarily coming from health care and government spending. Now, after months of uh, overseeing an economic train wreck, President Biden was really happy to talk about some positive numbers for a change. While I, uh, we talked about earlier, he was in Syracuse. But, the, but with investment and consumer spending still stagnant, is this just a temporary blip? Well, joining now to discuss this and more is Congressman Mike Johnson. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee and the House Armed Services Committee. He is the vice chairman of the House Republican Conference, one of the seven elected leadership positions for Republicans in the House of Representatives. He represents the 4th District of my home state of Louisiana. Congressman Johnson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Great to be with you as always. So, Mike, your reaction to uh, the GDP report and the president's remarks today? I think the president is a little bit out of touch. I think that they um, are engaging in a lot of misinformation. And I think the American people can see 
uh, with their own eyes. They can feel it uh, in their own family that uh, the cost of living is unmanageable, that life is, uh, is worse now than it was two years ago on every measurable category of well-being. And I think there's going to be a reckoning on November 8th. I think it's going to be a legitimate red wave because of all this. Uh, the the numbers underlying that 2.6 percent growth, as I mentioned earlier, government spending. I mean, we've had this uh, really what's been driving inflation has been this infusion of government money uh, into the economy. People aren't feeling that that's not affecting families directly. It's only driving more inflation. They're not feeling it. It is driving inflation. And of course, we've been uh, warning about this all along. It's simple economics. Uh, when the government infuses the uh, the economy with cash, it's going to drive down the value of every dollar that's out there. And, and this is completely foreseeable. And yet their response is, Tony, to double and triple down on the same the same failed policies. They want to continue government spending. You know, the jobs numbers, for example, that they tout, they say are so great. Of course, that's people returning to the job force uh, from COVID in lesser numbers than should be expected, by the way. But um, they're trying to take credit as if they have created jobs. All they've done is create more government. And that's the reason the economy is in the situation it is. And these are policy choices that have gotten us here. I think the American people are awakened to this now. And I think, like I said, there'll be a reckoning for it. Now, I, I don't want to get into an economic lesson, but uh, going back a number of years, uh, Mike, you and I used to teach a, a course together. In fact, you went through the course when I first taught it. And part of it, it, it's God in government. It is a biblical view of government. You know, this is what uh, would, would drive the left crazy, uh, make their heads explode, talking about Christian nationalism. We're just talking about biblical principles being applied. And one of those principles is that when government is inflating the monetary system, uh, when they're devaluing the dollars that are in your pocket, which is what's taking place right now, when you see real wages declining, purchasing power declining, that's fraudulent behavior on behalf of government. Yes, it's government engaging in activity that it was never authorized to engage in. The founders of this country believed in the idea of limited government because they knew individual freedom uh, would, would be uh, what would flourish if the government would get out of the way. They, they, they believed that the free market economy would thrive if the government would get out of the way. And, and yet, you know, the big government advocates of today, today's Democrats, they believe the government should control everything, that they should regulate everything, and they should pay for everyone's uh, needs from cradle to grave. That is not what the government was designed to do or is supposed to do. Government's primary job, of course, is to preserve our God-given rights, but they have long since forgotten that on the on the, the Democrat side of the aisle. They keep uh, continuing this, this, uh, this charade, and that's what's gotten us in the situation we're in. All right, uh, Mike, I want to switch gears. You're on the House Armed Services Committee. The Army um, failing to meet their uh, recruitment goal, 25% short, 15,000 troops that represents. Um, they are, they're actually cutting their uh, manpower. I, I want to play a clip of Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin yesterday. I mean, they, they seem to be really on their heels about this, trying to uh, convince Americans it's not as bad as it is. Play clip number two, please. And we're confident that we've got the right defense strategy to tackle the challenges ahead and to defend the American people and to strengthen our outstanding all-volunteer force and to safeguard the democratic values that are the soul of America. Have you seen those plans? I have not. Uh, you know, the, the secretary uh, has been in front of our committee and armed services under oath a number of times over the last year or so. 
We've asked piercing questions about this. There's really no mystery as to why we are below our recruitment levels. There's really two factors. Number one, of course, it's their vaccine mandate, which defies all logic. They have effectively eliminated almost one half of the recruitment pool for our, all of our branches of, of the military. You're not eligible uh, to enlist if you're an 18 to 24-year-old male, for example, who has not gotten the COVID vaccine. Well, guess what? About 40% of that demographic has not. And so they're out of the recruitment pool automatically off the, off the top. It's, it's insane to continue that policy. But this secretary will not retreat from it, uh, it, it, you know, in spite of our pleas. The other thing is, Tony, of course, that they've uh, brought in this uh, woke curriculum into the military academies. They're, in, they're engaging in uh, social policy uh, experiments in the military. And, you know, a lot of the young people look at that. They don't want any part of it. And so if they could reverse, again, their bad policy choices, we could fix this, I think, almost overnight. But they refuse to look at the objective facts. And so we continue to be in this crisis, by the way at the worst possible time. You know, our adversaries, China and Russia and Iran and North Korea are, are showing big signs of aggression for the obvious reasons, because we are projecting right. weakness on the world stage. You're absolutely right. Weakness will attract a challenge. And by the way, just this recruiting deficit is the worst ever yeah. since the U.S. military became an all-volunteer force nearly 50 years ago. So this is a quite, quite significant. And it, you're absolutely right. It's a matter of connecting the dots, which they refuse to do. All right, uh, Congressman Johnson, we're up against a break. I think you're going to stick with us. We're going to come back, continue this conversation, also talk about the election coming up and the lame duck following that. Congressman Mike Johnson, my guest, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, as well as a member of the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives. He's going to stick around uh, to the next sec segment, and I hope you will as well. So don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. If you've not yet gotten your personalized voter guide, you can do so. It's a resource that we have for you free of charge. Simply text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, to 67742. That's 67742. You'll get a link. Follow the link. Put in your address. And within seconds, you'll have a personalized voter guide on the candidates, rating them from conservative to moderate to liberal. And that's all based upon faith, family, and freedom issues. Again, that's the word guide to 67742. And do make sure you're going to vote. Your vote counts. It matters. It's very important that we all vote and, frankly, take someone else with you. Encourage others to vote as well. All right, my guest, uh, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana's 4th Congressional District. He's one of the uh, leaders in the Republican Conference, also a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Mike, thanks so much for uh, sticking through the break. I, I want to go back just for a moment to the to the military issue because the Secretary of uh, the Army, she's been making a, a big uh, you know deal about the the recruiting shortfall, but but I think they're missing some of the issues. Now she blames it in part because the military had been in a twenty year war, uh, therefore declining interest. You know, I didn't see that. Uh, you know, uh, during the midst of that war, even all the way to the end. Uh, in fact, none of the branches really had any trouble meeting their recruitment goals at that time. She says they're declining interest to serve, uh, inability to meet the physical fitness, that I get, academic standards of service, a growing economy. There are other options out there. But then she also said there's a declining trust in government institutions. But they're dancing around what you mentioned just a moment ago. When you have individuals that are disproportionately conservative, that are willing to serve their country, and quite frankly, a lot of them have a faith foundation. And when you look at what this military is force feeding an all volunteer force, they're saying, why would I want to do that? That's exactly right. And and I've heard this from uh, people who are in that recruitment pool who say exactly that, Tony. It's not rocket science. And you don't need a, a study to determine what the uh, causes are of the recruitment crisis that we're facing. Uh, just a few hours ago, I was on Barksdale Air Force Base, which is home of two-thirds of our nuclear triad. It happens to be in my district here in Louisiana. The Secretary of the Air Force was there. I, I met with our, our young airmen and, and, and those who are on the flight line. I mean, they're very enthusiastic about serving, but they will tell you privately that they're concerned about the direction you know, of where the military is headed because they're using it for this sort of, uh, you know, experimentation, I think, for for trying to change and, and advance these uh, really partisan 
uh, political policies. And, and, and no one wants any part of that. And, and again, the vaccine mandate is just very simply, I, I just think it is a ridiculous policy to pursue. By the way, the 18 to 24-year-olds who are in this recruitment pool who are excluded because they didn't get the vaccine have been shown now by the studies to be the ones that would least benefit from it. As if the vaccine had any benefit at all. It just makes no sense, but they refuse to acknowledge the obvious facts. And so we're all going to pay a price for that. Now, uh, there is some word that reports coming out that the military is considering dropping the mandate. What have you heard on that? Well, we keep hearing rumors of that, but but so far uh, they haven't. And here we are at the end of the recruitment year now. We've missed all of the targets that we needed. And again, not to overemphasize the point, but this is at the worst possible time. We know what right, China right. is doing, what, what Russia is doing, all the rest. We need to be arming up like we haven't in a generation. And yet we're doing the opposite. And, and it has real world consequences for all of us. Will the outcome of this election change that? If there is a change in the majority in the Congress, can that have influence on the military policy since that comes under the executive branch? Well, that's that's the, the problem is that we have, you know, a limited uh, influence on that, limited oversight over those particular policies. We can ask lots of questions. We can draw the public's attention to it. But you need the commander in chief and the executive branch to acknowledge these things and make this the the, uh, the course correction. Look, I think, Tony, if we do have a large enough red wave and it, it becomes a red tsunami, as some pollsters are projecting right now, and what we instinctively feel will happen, there'll be a mandate there. I, I think maybe they may never see the light, but perhaps they'll feel the heat and they'll recognize that the, this is the wrong direction for the country and they need to, uh, to to make a change in some of these areas. I certainly hope that that's true. Well, I've been around long enough that I remember when Bill Clinton uh, was president and in the red wave that came in uh, in 94, he became a lot more conservative. Now, he was more conservative to begin with than we have in Joe Biden. uh, But I think Biden may be forced to do some course corrections uh, based upon the outcome of the November election. Uh, Speaking of that election, Mike, I want to before we uh, run out of time, the lame duck session, we talked about this yesterday on the program. That is when you uh, have a situation like we had back in 2010. If what we're seeing happens, and I'm not saying it's going to happen because everybody has to turn out to vote, but we saw the wave of the Tea Party in 2010. Democrats lost control of the uh, of the House. They picked up seats in the Senate, didn't get the whole thing, but they picked up seats. But in that lame duck, there was some bad stuff that made its way through. And that happens in these lame ducks because you have members that will never stand for accountability before voters again. Um, Are you concerned about this lame duck session? We're very concerned and we're going to be very vigilant. Uh, Of course, they can do a lot of damage, even though it's called a lame duck session. We're still not we're still not finished with this current Congress. And so you have some big uh, piece of legislation that are still pending, the appropriations bill, the National Defense Authorization Act. And, and when you have those large spending bills, big omnibus kind of packages, you know, lots of things can sneak into that. So we, we are going to be on the, very vigilant on full guard. And uh, the Republicans in the House and the Senate, I know, will be working overtime to ensure that they are not able to insert uh, any, any of these poison pills or any of this uh, terrible stuff in these these uh, pieces of legislation. So we're, we're going to be uh, ready. And I know as a constitutional attorney, you're very concerned about the disrespect for marriage act that is a direct assault on religious freedom that is uh, pending a vote over in the Senate. Yes. And, I, and I'll tell you this, Tony, I think that some of my colleagues, Republicans in the House who 
Uh, I, I think we're duped into voting for that. Deeply regret it now. Many of them do. I know that's true. And that's a cautionary tale to the Senate. They need to be very cautious about this, very careful. This is a, a bill with huge implications for the country. Don't let anybody uh, undersell it. That's what it is. Yeah. Congressman Mike Johnson, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time out to uh, visit with us today. Thanks, Tony. Great to see you as always. All right. Uh, Mike, Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District of my home state of Louisiana, a member of the House uh, Republican leadership. Great guy. I've known him for a long, long time. All right. We were talking about the lame duck. Well, as I mentioned, this disrespect for marriage act is pending in the Senate and some new reports out show who's been lobbying for that. Where's the money coming from to push this? Well, most of you probably already know it's woke corporate America. We're going to discuss that after the break. So don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. All right, be sure and get your personalized voter guide. Text the word guide to 67742. That's 67742, the word guide, G-U-I-D-E. And you'll get a link, follow the link, put in your address, and you will have a personalized voter guide within seconds that will uh, give you information on the candidates. All right, so post-election, there'll be a lame duck session of Congress. Now, this will run through December. Now, there are about a dozen corporations that have uh, used this occasion to directly lobby Congress for the first time, and they're doing it in support of what I call the Disrespect for Marriage Act. It's the bill to codify 
the Supreme Court's redefinition of marriage into federal law. Now, the issue is that this essentially gives a green light justification to the left to intensify their attack on religious freedom and parental rights. Now, the companies behind this are really prominent consumer mainstays, such as Toyota, Dell, General Mills. Now, this has, as I said, serious implications for religious freedom, and we cannot be complacent after the midterms. I know a lot of people are going to be celebrating while you're cleaning up the confetti. The left is going to be hard at work while no one's paying attention going into Thanksgiving and Christmas trying to pass bad pieces of legislation. Joining me now to talk about this is Justin Danhoff, head of corporate governance at Strive Asset Management. Justin, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's always an honor to talk with you. So earlier this year, it seemed that uh, following the Disney smackdown uh, from the state of Florida, Florida, many companies uh, kind of retreated from their woke advocacy. But this disrespect for marriage has kind of drawn them back out from underneath their rocks. Yeah, I'd say it this way. They re- they retreated um, maybe publicly, but privately through engagement is where a lot of uh, corporate action actually takes place. And you're, you're right to, you know, hone in on this political election that we have coming up, because that's where decisions like this should be made, because folks that we elect to state houses and to Congress, they're accountable to who? The people who put them there, the American electorate. I don't remember voting for General Mills to dictate morality to society. Do you? I don't remember, you know, voting for Altria, who's also lobbying on this bill, to dictate morality to society. But that's what we have here is corporations are deciding that they are the moral arbiters um, in American culture, and they're really putting the thumb on the scales. Let me ask you this, Justin, because I've had a conversation, I've had conversations with some of the Republican leaders in Congress. If what is being projected right now actually happens, I mean, I don't think there's any that are questioning the fact Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives. It's just a question of how big the margins will be. But there's been a, and, and I welcome it, quite frankly, I welcome this drift that has occurred between Republicans and big corporate uh, giants that are embracing the wokeness and doing the bidding of the left. I mean, could this be a little dangerous for corporate America to weigh in on a lame duck when in just uh, weeks the Republicans will have control in the House for oversight and, passive, and possibly begin teeing up regulation for 2024 that could affect business? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, you know, it, it's it's an interesting proposition that businesses really ought to think about. Do they want to be in a position where they are getting so heavily involved in politicized cultural issues that every two to four years they're dealing after, you know, political elections, they're whipsawing back and forth because the leadership of the the, the political class changes? I don't think businesses want to put themselves in that position. So I honestly think that companies ought to take a step back and realize that the political class can play a significant role in you know, regulatory reform, tax reform, and specific targeted legislation that could affect business from both the left or from the right. And by engaging in this sphere where they don't belong, the businesses themselves are the ones who put themselves, you know, put 
put themselves, their customers, their employees, their shareholders in this position. And so I, I would say that the businesses really need to take a look in the mirror and decide if that's a future that they want. Because look, for American capitalism to succeed, that we, we can't have that. We can't have a change every two to four years of you know action from the left or action from the right dictating you know corporate behaviors. Uh, we're, it's not going to be a, right. a great functioning society that way. Right. Yesterday, the president uh, made an announcement, you know, they're going to go after these junk fees that business, you know, are, are pushing, talking about uh, fees on uh, concert tickets and resorts. To me, it kind of shows desperation. But uh, anyway, he's going after these junk fees. But when you talk about cost for American families, this environmental, social and governance or ESG that many of uh, these uh, corporations are pursuing, does that not cost families? Oh, a tremendous amount. Uh, that's why at Strive Asset Management, one of our goals is to take the ESG shackles off of businesses. So when you talk about the E of ESG, what are we talking about? We're talking about all of these companies that have made promises to be net zero by you know, 2050, in some cases, 2035. Well, what does that do? That passes extraneous costs down to their consumers. And that's why you're paying more at the pump. Uh, inflation is part of the reason that you're paying more for everything. But the other aspect that doesn't get talked about enough, and I'm so glad you're bringing it up, is the activists that impose ESG mandates on companies. Frankly, some companies willfully adopt them. Other companies, they're right. foisted upon them. Um, but in either instance, they're an additional cost. And look, when, when, times are, when times are tough, as they are now, I think businesses ought to look at their balance sheets and say, hey, do we need to spend another $500,000 to bring in an expert on DEI training to tell right. everybody they're either hey, oppressed hey, or, Justin, or oppressing? Justin, we're up against a break. Can you hold on and so we can uh, finish this on the other side of the break? Absolutely. All right. J Justin sticks with me. I hope you do as well. We finish this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Again, let me encourage you, download your personalized voter guide. You can find it by simply texting the word guide to 67742. That's 67742. All right, Justin Danhoff, head of corporate governance at Strive Asset Management, uh, has stuck around with us. Justin, thank you for so much. Thank you so much for sticking around. I, I do want to finish that conversation about the ESG because... This is not just something that uh, affects Congress. We've got these elections going on all across the country at multiple levels where you have individuals who will determine the investments of local and state money, whether or not they'll be with firms that are pursuing these ESG policies. Yeah, that's right. So when you see corporate action that you disagree with, you know, you, you open up a headline and see that you know, a conservative organization has been debanked or deplatformed. There's a visceral reaction to go after that, you know, bank or that platform. And I understand that. But what you really need to think about is where are those assets of those pensions or what have you being allocated? And then who is dictating that corporate action? So asset managers, large ones such as BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard, they collectively control somewhere around $20 trillion in assets under management. And they're the ones pulling very heavy levers on corporate shareholder ballots to push heavy for ESG initiatives. And so very often what you're seeing with the corporate action that would have, may offend your values, they are being dictated from the money that is above them. You know, the capital, the, the capital flows down. Um, by their largest shareholders who are using other people's money to influence corporate action at thousands of votes that take place every year that aren't happening this this next month in November. They're happening all throughout the year at annual shareholder meetings of publicly traded companies. And again, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, um, they're collectively, you know, the first, second, or third largest shareholder in more than 80% of the S&P 500. That is a tremendous amount of influence that they have. And again, the influence is with other people's money. 
Very often, believe it or not, until recently, red state pensions, for example, had money tied up in BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard that was the, you know, the money of pension holders in red states such as Florida and Texas that were being used to vote on these initiatives with other people's money. And so what we've seen is a great reaction in a lot of states that have decided, wait a minute, BlackRock, you don't represent my values. And there's been an effort to do two things, pull back money from BlackRock and pull back the proxy voting authority that they had contractually given away to BlackRock. And I think that that's a great development. And I think that there needs to be a lot more market competition for using that money in pro-fiduciary ways and voting those ballots in pro-fiduciary ways. And Justin, of course, talking about values, but it's it goes beyond that to the issues of jobs where, you know, I've talked to uh, the state treasurer in my home state of Louisiana, uh, where redirecting money away from these woke corporations because they're fighting against funding for oil and gas, for fossil fuels, which in my home state, and I mean, that's a huge source of uh, revenue, not only for the state, but for families across uh, our entire state. Oh, yeah, it's it's in it's in finance. You know, it, it's interesting. The energy sector gets it from so many sides. Um, you know, the fossil fuel industry specifically I'm talking about, you know, they, they've got all of these emission cap mandates that are put on the shareholder ballots that are voted on by companies like BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard, these net zero targets. But they're also coming from the side. And so they they've got all these banks lined up to finance based on some arbitrary net zero future, right? And so they, they, they can't get funding. Uh, just go to the state of Alaska and ask them how it's going to get pipelines funded up there, right? Uh, a lot of banks have signed on to these pledges that don't allow them to even fund uh, such projects. And another line of attack, insurance. There's a lot of proposals at insurance yeah. companies telling them that they need to align their underwriting with net zero targets. So the energy sector is getting it from all sides. And yeah, absolutely, this is harming not only American jobs, but American freedom, Tony. When we have to rely yeah. on foreign sources for our energy, that's a this is a this is a freedom issue. And, and this is where wokeness takes us. Justin Danhoff, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Appreciate the great work you guys do. Thanks. God bless. All right, Justin Danhoff, they, they really do some great stuff. And, and he's been at the uh, really at the tip of the spear in bringing more attention to what's happening in corporate America. So keep all that in mind with uh, where you do business, where you invest your money. I, in Virginia this week, the public comment period closed on Governor Glenn Youngkin's proposed transgender policies for the public schools. Now, responses on the Virginia Regulatory Town Hall website totaled more than 66,000 as of uh, yesterday morning. That's a stark contrast to the 9,000 public comments received for the previous policy. Quite frankly, they didn't want input from parents. You know, as viewers and listeners uh, to this program know, Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia governor's race on an explicitly pro-parent platform with a focus on education. Isn't that a novel idea, the focus on education in the public schools? You know, could this be a model for candidates in other states. Well, joining me now to talk about this and more, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Educational Studies here at the Family Research Council. She previously served in the Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be here. 
All right, you are a Virginia resident right outside of Washington, D.C. Tell us about the, uh, the public comment period and how it's been received. Well, uh, this was one of the biggest um, pushes for public comments that, that the left has orchestrated in Virginia in recent memory. They really um, had the run of the place when the former governor was governor, and they have a, a very progressive, very um, pro-transgender uh, status for students kind of policy um, that was current was, was the policy before. So when Governor Yonkin announced his policy, released his policy about a month ago, we were really, really relieved to see that it was so clearly affirmed the rights of parents to direct the upbringing of their children. They defined the term transgender student as a student whose parent expressly writes to the school and asks for that kind of treatment of their child, putting the parent fully in charge of the students um, instead of having the situation that's so common now in many school districts where they will hide a transgender student's status from their parents right, and, and hide that identity claim from the parent, change names, do everything, have a whole policy related to your child, a plan for your child's gender transition, and they will never tell a parent about it. That will no longer right. be the state of play in Virginia. Now, just, just to put a fine point on that, as you make reference to some of these other school districts and other states, that's not just kind of a, um, a you know, individual school districts deciding to do this in, in many cases. It's actually state law in some cases that yes. provide the ability for schools to hide this information from parents. It is indeed. In states like New Jersey and California, that is the state of the law in those states, sadly. So we're very glad that Virginia will be on the right side of things when this policy is implemented. We, they, they have to factor in the comments, and there could be some changes, so we'll be watching that process closely. Of course, there are things that we would have liked to have seen strengthened, but um, this is such a huge improvement over what we had before that it's really just something worth, um, worth applauding. Well, speaking of things that they have to factor in, um, they're going to have to factor in your comments. You had uh, a contribution to this. Uh, what did you have to say? We did. We commented specifically on our appreciation for the, the central role of parents. We reviewed a lot of the case law about parental rights in Virginia, and um, we included for their um, use and edification, a long appendix of research that Family Research Council has produced affirming the true identity of children as being that they are created in the image and likeness of God and created male and female, that's just, which is also a scientific fact. So we, um, we always appreciate the opportunity to weigh in in situations like that. Um, I've commented as a citizen on things before, just typing in my comments myself. So this was the first time that that um, a more for I was able to offer a more formal comment on behalf of an organization, and it was great great to be able to work with the team here to get that done. So Meg, we watched this. We were kind of uh, the action arm of FRC was involved. We saw Governor uh, Glenn Youngkin at the time, prior to being governor, lean into this issue, not run from the issue. Uh, in fact, uh, our Pray Vote Stand event was really at the epicenter, at the zenith of this event uh, in Leesburg, Virginia, right before the election. 
Is this a, a model for other candidates, in, in particularly in purple states, to embrace parental rights in education? I, I think that that's happening more and more often, and we're very grateful to see it. Um, one, uh, the Senate candidate, Blake Masters, today sent out a, a, a message on Twitter saying that he opposes child sex reassignment surgery, but Senator Kelly supports it, and the choice is Arizona's. And so to have this kind of issue uh, that, that we care so deeply about, that we've been working on for years, um, that, that people were afraid to embrace, to see such a clear embrace of a, a great protective position for children um, in, in a political process like that is really remarkable. We are seeing it more and more, and it's just a welcome, welcome development. You know, continuing on the education front, earlier this week I spoke with uh, Congresswoman Mary Miller about the nation's report card and the abysmal scores that were clearly influenced by the pandemic and the school closures. And so I, I get that. I, I don't question the fact that, you know, you have kids not in school for a year, it's going to have an effect. But I would think post-closure that to make up ground, we would be focused on intensifying our efforts on reading, on mathematics where the scores were so low. But instead, we see an administration that is pushing this whole transgender agenda. I mean, that's all we're hearing out of public education these days. Right. It, it is definitely a top-down problem. We have a current administration in Washington that's setting this as a priority, and it is at the expense of basic skills, and we saw that played out with the NAEP scores. Um, and they, they were especially bad because of the pandemic, but they had been on a downward trajectory for a long time, and we all know that. So to, to have all of this, the CARES money, the COVID relief money that is still in many states largely unspent, um, to be, see that being, um, being used for social-emotional learning programs, which basically um, feed right back into the conversation you had with the previous guest on, on ESG. They don't have to to impose a social credit system on the next generation if the next generation is involved in a social credit system that is perpetrated with surveys and questionnaires that are all done under the guise of social and emotional learning. And that is what's happening right now. So there are many problems facing the schools, and that's why Christians really need to get involved in the process and bring some common sense to this problem. Before, before I leave the, the, the closure issue, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to pay closer attention to it because uh, Secretary of uh, Education uh, Miguel Cardona just wanted to be dismissive of that, say we can't, we can't draw too much from this. Is there a story in terms of schools or states that were more open to getting children back in and less draconian in their closure policies? Do the, do the test scores show us anything there? They absolutely do. Schools that open, reopened quickly did better on the tests than school systems that stayed closed. My state of Virginia, while we're happy about the, the, the gender policy, uh, we, we scored the worst ever <laughs> that we've ever scored in the history of our state. And you'll recall that that whole election turned on the fact that they were so 
slow to reopen schools in Northern Virginia. Um, and this now you see that impacting these scores. I mean, this could be told in many other states, states that did not reopen schools or who, or who used tried to use uh, online learning as opposed to in-person instruction fared very poorly. And it's the children who pay the price for the decisions of political decisions that adults make on their behalf. And that's why we need good people involved in that decision-making process. Will there be any introspection on the decisions that were made uh, in COVID and this preoccupation with uh, gender and transgenderism in, in looking at these scorecards, or will it take the voters basically cleaning house? Well, if we continue in under this paradigm that we have now, which is sort of one party rule over education, and that, that we know which party that is, um, then no, I bet there will not be much introspection, right? That's why you see parents engaging at the local level and these races becoming more competitive. More people are interested in running for local office because they see how important it is and how directly those offices affect your daily life. And so I think we are going to see some very interesting results uh, on election night in, in some of these local races. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Meg Kilgannon, always great to uh, have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. And speaking of election, folks, we're going to have an election night coverage. We'll be looking at uh, races across the country, not only the federal races. We'll look at some of the ballot issues and some of those school board races. We've trained uh, about 1,500 individuals in our school board boot camp training, which uh, Meg was a part of. So we're going to be here on election night. So make plans to join us. All right. So glad that you were with us today. Until next time, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul that we find in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. Seven two three four.